0: Would you like even more Witch Wave? Do you wish that you could hear from me and my other magical guests on a weekly basis? And what about doing monthly rituals with yours truly? Then come join me over on Patreon, where you'll get bi-weekly bonus Witchwave Plus episodes, ad-free Witchwave episodes, and detailed show notes for all. I also lead a monthly online magical workshop, which you can attend live or watch the recording of at your convenience. Rewards for some tiers also include magical merch and contests where you can win Witchly prizes each month, as well as early heads up about my other workshops before they sell out, and you can even sign up for the opportunity to work with me one-on-one. And all backers get access to our exclusive digital coven where you can connect to a community of other wonderful Witchwave witches around the world. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to patreon.com witchwave now and sign up. It's a magnificent way to get more magic in your life and to support the show. Thanks so much. This season of The Witch Wave is brought to you in part by Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab. Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab is a fragrance house specializing in body and household blends with a dark, romantic, gothic tone. Over the years, they've collaborated with some of my very favorite creative visionaries, including Neil Gaiman, Jim Jarmusch, the Jim Henson Company, and most recently, Junji Ito. They continually return to inspirations drawn from witchcraft, paganism, and mythology, and they also have a sister store called Twilight Alchemy Lab, which creates oils blended and consecrated specifically for ritual use. The lab recently released their annual Halloween Perfume Collection, a limited edition series which includes scents inspired by folklore accounts of lycanthropy. Customer reviews of their products can be found at the fanrunbpal.org web forum, and you can check out all of their perfumes and other enchanting concoctions over at blackphoenixalchemylab.com. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Hello and welcome to the Witch Wave. And happy, happy new year. And look, I know that Larry David says that January 7th is the last day you're allowed to wish someone a happy new year, but this is my show, my rules. And so, happy, happy, happy new year. And I am so happy we're in a new year because even though the Gregorian calendar is pretty arbitrary. I always welcome an excuse to start fresh and to plant new seeds of hope and possibility. And I'm not quite a resolutions witch. I'm more of an intention setting witch. And this year I'm setting intentions of contribution, care, and stoking creative fire. So let me break that down. First of all, contribution. I have been thinking a lot about the energy I'm putting out in the world, not just through my work, but also in my relationships and in my relationship to myself. And this year, I intend to ask myself more frequently if that energy that I'm putting out is contributing to the greater good or obstructing it somehow and I came across this wonderful quote by Emerson regarding being mindful about what we're focusing on and what we are saying. Emerson writes, quote, "'Don't waste yourself in rejection, "'nor bark against the bad, "'but chant the beauty of the good.'" Unquote. Now, you know me... I'm not into spiritual bypassing or just being only a shiny, happy person every second of the day. I think it's healthy. Strike that. I know it's healthy and so important that we all explore and honor the shadow. And yes, to even bark against the bad when necessary, as long as that's not where we're stopping as long as we are also then using our time on this earth to move the needle forward toward goodness. And so venting, complaining, protesting, lamenting, I actually think that's all necessary to a point. But then I want to ask myself and I want to ask the people that I am in relationship to, what are we going to do about it? How can we add, how can I add to the cause of generating more hope, more beauty, more goodness into this world? And so I want to be sure I'm not getting stuck on just expressing my fear and anxiety and anger, but that I'm also contributing to this world and being in my own tiny and infinitely grand way, a force for positive transformation. So yes, contribution means that I'm contributing in my words and in my actions and that I am going to be more frequently chanting the beauty of the good. The second part of my New Year's intentions is pretty straightforward, care. And that means that I want to stay engaged, that I don't want to give up or check out, And that I intend to care for my loved ones and my community at large and also for myself. So that means making sure I take breaks and refuel my tank so that I can then keep contributing and caring for others. And the third part of my intention is stoking creative fire. That is a huge intention for me this year and for the book that I'm currently writing, which is all about the relationship between magic and creativity. And I hope this book will help stoke the creative fire of anyone who reads it. And as I keep saying... It's also a book where I really have to practice what I priestess as I am writing it and keep my own creative fire stoked in order to keep working on it and eventually, dear goddess, complete it. And I also want to keep my creative fire lit for this podcast and for all of the other projects that I've got going right now. And that means tending to this fire and feeding myself with inspiration and things that excite me and ignite me and make me curious and refuel me. And sometimes, yes, that means walking away from my computer. That's a hard lesson that I keep trying to learn and making sure I go for a walk or go to a museum or spend time with friends or read or watch things that aren't just direct research for my work. And I totally admit that I sometimes feel guilty when I'm not working on my manuscript or on this show or on my workshops, and that I have to remind myself consistently that breaks aren't being lazy or procrastinating, they're actually really necessary, and that adventures and seemingly frivolous marvels are crucial to keeping my creative fires lit. So there you have it. Contribution, care, and creative fire. My themes, my intentions for 2024. Now, speaking of the new year, I've been wanting to talk to today's guest astrologer Lisa Stardust for a long time. And I'm so happy that our stars aligned so she could help kick off 2024 with a big picture cosmic snapshot of what this year may have in store. And she was so much fun to talk to and gave me so much food for thought about staying hopeful and engaged for the months to come. But before we get to that, First, let's check and see what's come through
1: on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Wishes. Hello, Witch Wave. This is Serena from Florida. I'm calling because I love Leonard Cohen, the late, great singer songwriter. And for my 40th birthday, I decided to commemorate that moment by getting one of my first tattoos of a symbol he drew fairly frequently, which is interlocking hearts with hands over it. However, sometimes when he drew this, there was a Jewish symbol, possibly an alphabetic letter or I'm I'm not really sure. It looks almost like three mushrooms sprouting out in the center of this design. And at the time when I got my tattoo, both me and the tattoo artist were not clear on exactly what it was. So we decided to leave it out of the tattoo itself um, just to make sure that we weren't crossing any boundaries. So my question to you is a are you familiar with this symbol do you know what it means I mean intuitively it looks like growth to me almost mycelian growth um I believe it's a shin in Judaism um but I would love to hear your take on whether I should go forward and finish my tattoo with this symbol um or any information you have about this overall. Um, Thank you so much for everything. Love you. Loved Greece. Um, And looking forward to your response.
0: Hi, Serena. It is so good to hear your voice. I just love it when the witches from my Greece adventure are in touch with each other and with me. It just makes my heart burst. So my friend, you have come to the right place because I love Leonard Cohen too. May he rest in poetry and peace. And also because of my Jewitry, I think I can speak to this specific symbol with, dare I say, a fair amount of authority. Now, I know that Cohen did a few variations of this symbol, but let me speak to the one that you described and that you sent me a JPEG of. Cohen, as you may know, sort of invented his own spiritual society, which he called the Order of the Unified Heart. And I'm pretty sure that anyone could join this mythical order. There's actually a lapel pin that you could get to show that you are a member. And they still have the pin listed in their online shop on leonardcohen.com, though it does look as though it's currently sold out. But they have listed this pin as a blessing lapel pin, so, yes, this is an image that Cohen designed as a blessing, as a symbol of love. However, he did base this symbol on several pre existing symbols, the interlocking hearts. He intended as symbolizing a balance of opposites, such as the anima and animus, or masculine and feminine principles. So in that way, it's kind of similar to a yin-yang. And he certainly designed it to be a variation on the Star of David, which is the Jewish version of the yin-yang, let's say. It's our symbol that symbolizes unification and balance and protection. Cohen's heart-shaped variation is on the cover of his book called Book of Mercy, and it was clearly an important symbol to him. Now getting back to your symbol, for the two hands, you will notice that they have their fingers spread out in sort of a V shape. So it looks like the Live Long and Prosper hand gesture from Star Trek— But remember that that symbol from Star Trek is actually a Jewish hand gesture that is called the priestly blessing. Because remember, Leonard Nimoy, who played Spock, was Jewish. And it was he who recommended that symbol, that hand gesture, to the Star Trek creative team. Though on the show, they just use one hand And in the Jewish priestly blessing, it is always two hands as are drawn in the symbol you shared. And the hands are meant to look like the Hebrew letter, which you correctly identified as shin. Each hand is a shin, if you will. So yes, that letter, that shin in the center of the image is just a stylized version of that Hebrew letter. Now, in Jewish mysticism, Hebrew letters each are thought to have their own sort of supernatural powers. They're each associated with numbers, and there is a whole system of Jewish symbolism and magic where Hebrew letters and Hebrew words are thought to have this whole additional layer of numerical values and symbols And that means as you build different words and passages together, especially in the Torah, they have all of these other multi-layered kind of holographic significances and energies it's really dense, it's really wild, it spins off into Kabbalistic mysticism, and it would and does take a lifetime to get any sort of deep expertise in this. So don't worry, you do not have to do that to understand this symbol. But for the sake of our conversation, what you do need to know is that the letter Shin is often put on the outside of the mezuzah, or the mezuzah, which is the protective scroll that's hung on the doorposts of Jewish homes as a blessing and a protection. And in that context, on the outside of the mezuzah, the Shin stands for El Shaddai, which is one of many names of God. Interestingly, El Shaddai is one of the feminine names of God. There are masculine names of God, there are feminine names of God. And when prior Witchwave guest Katsira Lesser lectured at the Occult Humanities Conference last year, she actually talked about one translation of the name El Shaddai as being a sort of abbreviation for a longer Hebrew phrase, which she translated to mean the guardian of the doorways of Yisrael, or Israel. So that's a lot of information, and I'm sure you're now asking yourself, well, what does this mean for your tattoo? And I would say that it's really wise that you didn't put a Hebrew letter on your body without knowing exactly what it was or what it signifies, I think that's honestly good practice for any tattoo. If you're listening to this, don't put a permanent symbol on your body if you don't know what it is, if you don't know what it means. Not only could you potentially... I don't know, disrespect another culture or perhaps even put something on your body that maybe you don't even really want once you know what the true meaning is or the true context is. Um, It's also, yeah, it's permanent. So it's really, really hard to erase or change. Not impossible, but always good to do your homework first. Anyhow, Serena, now that you do know what the shin is, only you can decide how you feel about it, and whether or not you think it's appropriate to put permanently on your body. I can say that as a Jewish person, as a Jew witch, the shin is definitely a Jewish symbol. And I think Leonard Cohen is using it here in the same spirit that the shin is used on a mezuzah, which is as a blessing. Now, he, as a Jewish person himself was also a devout Buddhist and artist and mystical seeker of many stripes. And he designed this symbol as a very syncretic one, even though it's based on a lot of Jewish symbolism. And it's clearly a symbol that together is one that he intended for any of his fans to use, even the non-Jewish ones. So in that context, the symbol can mean that this is a blessing from Leonard Cohen for anyone who chose to be a member of his Order of the Unified Heart. However, most people and most Jewish people are probably not going to know all of this when they see your tattoo. And so you have to decide for yourself how you feel about that. Because There are some Jewish folks who will not know or will not care that this is a Leonard Cohen symbol, and they might have feelings about a non-Jewish person having this or at least the shin on their body. There are some Jews who won't care or don't care. There are some who will or may. As with any question about cultural appropriation, I think that something to ask yourself is, am I causing harm by having this symbol on my body? And am I honoring the people whose symbol it is in my life through my actions? So let's say, for example, you were to get a Hindu symbol on your body but weren't actually supportive of Hindu people in your life or in this world. There's a dissonance there, right? In other words, don't just love the symbol of a people if you can't or don't actively love the actual people who originated the symbol. I think that's a pretty good rule of thumb. So I'm not here to tell you whether or not to add the shin. That's up to you now that you have more of an understanding about what the symbol means or can mean. I will say that I've seen other versions of his design online where instead of a shin in the middle, there's an eye in the middle, which hello grease trip with the protective eyes that were everywhere. I've also seen versions of his drawing where there's nothing in the middle. I've seen versions that say the words order of the unified heart around the symbol to give it more context. You might also want to add your own personal symbol in the middle to it, one that might have more personal resonance for you. Whatever, whatever you decide is up to you, and I'm not here to gatekeep. But I really admire you wanting to learn more about this symbol to make sure that you are making an informed, respectful, and meaningful decision. Let me know what you land on, and I can't wait to see a picture of it when it's done. Love you so, Serena. Now, on to my guest. Lisa Stardust is a professional astrologer who has been part of the astrology community for over 15 years. She writes columns for O Magazine, Teen Vogue, The Witch, Cosmo, Bust, British Vogue, and more. And she has also been featured in Vice, Refinery29, Bustle, The Daily Mail, and InStyle, to name just a few. Lisa is the author of the book, Saturn Return Survival Guide, Navigating This Cosmic Rite of Passage, as well as two Oracle Decks the Love Deck, and the Astrology Deck. She also does astrology readings and tarot readings for private clients. Lisa joined me from her home in New York City via Zoom.
2: Lisa Stardust, welcome to The Witch Wave. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here today on your podcast.
0: I'm so happy to have you. You're someone whose work I've admired for a long time. We have a lot of friends and colleagues in common, and I just have a lot of respect for what you do. So this is such a treat.
2: Oh, thank you. You too.
0: Before we get started in terms of like talking about the big picture of astrology for the year, I'd love for listeners to just get a chance to know you and know from whom this astrology is going to be coming from or translated by. And I've had a few different astrologers on the show, all wonderful, all different, and so. I'd love to just give listeners a sense of like your orientation towards astrology, your perspective on astrology, just any kind of basic footing that you'd like to give folks.
2: Well, I always say I grew up in a witchy household. My dad's family comes from a long line of Kabbalistic healers. There is actually a book written about my dad's family that was circulating around Israel for some time, and it's funny because my dad got it as a joke because they mention, you know, the last name of my family in the book, and it turns out that it was about my dad's family. So my dad, during one of his midlife crises, he became a kabbalistic killer as well. He was always interested in, you know, crystals and astrology. So I kind of grew up with that energy permeating my household. And my mother's grandmother, that would be my great grandmother. Mm-hmm. She was a tarot reader in the Lower East Side during the Great Depression. Oh, amazing. Yeah, she had a banana cart and <laughs> at Essex Street Market. And she also read tarot cards for people, but she couldn't afford a tarot deck because that was a big luxury. So they would read playing cards, you know, as tarot cards. So she was a really kind of magical witchy person. And my dad's mother was magical as well. She always was doing the Olympias before the Shabbos. And I never understood why. She was from Cuba, so it kind of made sense that she had integrated all of these different magical practices into her routine. By the time I got into astrology, seriously, I kind of had all of this knowledge already, but I really wasn't sure how to apply it. And then I really began to study more and to find, you know, my niche and my focus.
0: How fascinating. So, Lisa, first of all, I want to pause you for a second because not that it should matter, but I had no idea... Of your background in any way because (laughs) stardust (laughs) is not very telling in such regards and certainly I don't need to know your given last name but I had no idea it sounds like you have Jewish ancestry and Cuban ancestry is that what I'm gleaning from this
2: yeah so apparently I'm a direct I mean we all are I think and I always debate this with my dad but Apparently, our lineage is a direct descendant of King David, but I'm always saying everyone's a direct descendant of King David. Right, right. But in the book, they made the, you know, I always say I was meant to be a princess in this world. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, work? You know, (laughs) I'm just joking, you know. So everyone makes a joke. My really good friends make a joke like Princess Lisa, you know. So. Yes, yes. So I'm like, I was meant to be a princess. I'm just kidding, but um, <laughs> you're like, it's in my blood. Uh, it is. I was meant to rule. I'd be like a fair but rigid ruler. <laughs> That's so funny.
0: What's interesting to me, Lisa, is because I'm also of Jewish descent. and, you know, I sometimes kind of jokingly but not really jokingly call myself Jewish or a Jewish. And I only learned recently that the phrase mazel tov actually means good stars or blessed stars. It comes from, like a Jewish belief in astrology and in there being lucky stars. Isn't
2: that so interesting? Yeah. Also, something that my dad, because my dad will go on for hours, as all Scorpios do when they're passionate about something. He was telling me that there's a prayer for a new moon and a full moon that's like really religious Jewish people. I was raised conservative, but my dad was raised modern Orthodox. But I have the ultra, ultra religious family who lives in Brooklyn you know my cousin has like 13 kids yeah he is you know yes you know know I, I do clearly we have all different types of people different moderations but yeah so apparently my dad was saying that people take the full moon really seriously in Judaism and there's a prayer for it like they celebrate it throughout the day you know, the Jewish calendar is aligned with the full moons and the new moons. Right.
0: The lunar calendar. And I am aware of Rush Chodesh, which is the new month or the new moon. I wish so much that in the temple I was raised, which was kind of like groovy in certain ways, it was like relatively feminist and relatively low key and, you know, positive in that regard, progressive, what have you. But like I was not taught about lunar rituals i was not taught that mazel Tov means lucky star you know what i mean like i wish that i was given more of that information but maybe not though because not having enough of it set me on my path of finding my own witchcraft and it's only now later in life that i'm integrating the two but anyhow how did this all lead to you studying astrology how did that kind of origin story start for you
2: well, like I said, my dad was always interested in astrology and my parents forgot my birth time. I always tell this story because, you know, I'm like younger kids. So what difference does you know, like, <laughs> they're like, okay, whatever, 10 toes, 10 fingers, you know, we've been through this before. Yep. So they got my birth chart read and they didn't have the correct birth time. And nothing ever really felt right with my birth chart, but I just accepted that that was my birth time. And then when I was older, I got my birth certificate and I felt like I was having an identity crisis, but it made more sense because I'm like this really more aligns with the type of person that I am.
0: Wow. That's so interesting. I think most listeners are probably pretty up on their, you know, basic astrology, but just in case there's someone who doesn't know what we're talking about, you know, one's birth time is so important to get a very accurate chart. It's birth time, birth date, and location of where you were born to, right? Those are the three pieces. Am I missing something?
2: Yeah. That's it. Birth date, birth time, and location. And so, yeah, I could
0: understand how not having your birth time would mean that you were getting like these really different readings. And, you know, we've had conversations on the podcast before about how it feels kind of recent that people are learning that your rising sign is actually even more accurate or more personalized than even one's sun sign, but you need your birth time
2: To calculate your rising sign is that right too (laughs) yeah i mean i went from having a virgo rising to having a libra rising and that made more sense just because i feel that justice and fairness is something that's really important to me Mm -hmm. in this world and you know, I always say I'll defend someone I care about to the end, but you know, I also need them to know if something they're doing isn't correct, but I need to, them to understand that too. Absolutely, I also was born on an exact full moon. Ah, that's pretty cool, that's yeah. gorgeous! How lovely.
0: So, you were influenced by your father and this is very much in your family. Do you remember when you started getting interested in astrology or even
2: deciding this might be the path for you professionally? Well, I grew up in Queens, New York, and there was an occult shop called Path Times in my neighborhood. And it was down this little cobblestone alleyway.
1: Mm. And they had
2: chimes and a million black cats roaming around. And my parents used to take me there every weekend since I was probably six years old.
0: Ah, amazing. Because I'd want to
2: buy, like, save up my allowance money. You know, I would do errands for people in my apartment building. And I'd buy crystals and my dad would buy me books or, you know, runes and (laughs) all that cool stuff. So Ah. I was really into all this stuff at a really young age and I was supported by my family. My mom is a Pisces, so she's really into psychics and aura readings and that energetic work.
0: Oh, my goodness. I feel like I love your parents. I don't
2: know. (laughs) Like, they just sound so great. They were very new age. And, you know, my dad and I used to collect crystals and he would take me to the Museum of History in New York City. And look at the crystal exhibit. Oh, the
0: Museum of Natural History. I miss that gem room so much. Do you remember it was like the brown carpeting all over the walls and the floor and it felt like being in a cave. They refurbished it over the last couple of years and it's just not the same.
2: When I was in second grade, they were like, what do you want to be? And I raised my hand. I said, I want to be a gemologist. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Lisa, you
0: and I would have been best friends because I wanted to be a metaphysician. I came up with that term because, you know, I went to like a metaphysical bookshop and I was like, "Ah, if there is a metaphysical bookshop with all my favorite things in it, there must be such a thing as a metaphysician.
2: (laughs) So there we go. The gemologist and the metaphysician. (laughs) Investigating life.
0: Yeah. So you were encouraged, you were getting more into this stuff the occult, the new age, mysticism, you know, whatever terms we want to use. And then when did astrology specifically jump out for you?
2: Well, I've always been interested in astrology, and I always used to do my birth chart and everyone's birth charts. When I was in college, in grad school I wrote my thesis on the occult movement in the early Victorian era in America it was about how Henry James wrote the book The Americans which was a play on about how you know the only voice women had was in these spiritual communities yep and these seances so That's what my thesis was about. Ah, incredible. And I tapped into a lot of astrology then, but I was always really into astrology. And when I had my first job, I would look at everyone's birth chart and be like, this is why I don't like this person. This is why I like them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, I would say that it's been a lifelong interest to me. I used to go to the beach as a teen and read astrology books. Nice. You know, some light reading. Oh, which books at the beach? Some light reading with my friends. But I've always been into this stuff, and it's great because my parents never really held me back. Mm, What a blessing! And when did you
0: start doing this full time? I mean, I know you've been a professional reader
2: for—is it fifteen years, Lisa? Longer? Yeah. I think, you know, right before my Saturn return, I got very into astrology. And during my Saturn return, which is what my first book is about, everyone's Saturn return. Yes, yes. I started to really understand that this was more or less something that I'm really passionate about. And I took the leap to enter into astrology.
0: How fabulous. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Mithras Candle. Midwinter is here, and it can feel long and cold. It's an ideal time to nurture the flame within. So why not ignite your passion with the magic of Mithras Red Beeswax Candles? Made by my pagan pals in Philadelphia with regionally sourced beeswax and a vegetable-based red dye, these ancient lights give deep, rich crimsons in darkness and bursting, vibrant reds in bright sunlight. Red is the color of sex, romance, blood, and luscious vitality. That's why these blushing beeswax beauties will ship in early February, just in time for Valentine's Day, Hi and My Birthday, and Lupercalia. The folks at Mithras are so excited to share this juicy limited edition run of red candles with you, but... The window to pre-order will be closing on January 18th, so act swiftly before they disappear for another year. Best of all, Witchwave listeners can get 24% off their first order of the new year by using code WITCH24 at checkout. That's WITCH24. So go on and place your pre-order now at mithrascandle.com. That's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, candle.com to step into the realm of red. The Witch Wave is sponsored by BetterHelp. So I'm not the biggest fan of New Year's resolutions. I think they can sometimes be really punishing or really self-critical. And I'm all about celebrating what we're doing right or trying to generate just more positivity in the new year. The last couple years, my New Year's resolution has just been to have more fun, to be kinder to myself and other people, or to keep up the good work that I might have already started the year prior So around New Year's, it's a really good time to think about what we're already doing right and expand upon that. Therapy helps you find those strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes for yourself that really stick and help add positivity into your life. You guys know that I'm a huge proponent of therapy. I've been in some form of therapy on and off since I was probably about 14 years old, and it has helped me be a much more effective, well-adjusted, positive human being. That doesn't mean that I don't have my down days. Of course, we all do. But it really helps give me the tools to cope, to adapt, and to see things through a more positive framework. I've said it a hundred times, and I'm going to say it hundred and one. If I could wave my magic wand and give everybody on earth therapy, I would. It has helped me that much. And during this time of year especially, I'm so grateful that I found a wonderful therapist because the winter blues are no joke, and my therapist helps me see the light during even my darkest days. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. And all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So this new year, celebrate the progress you've already made— Visit BetterHelp.com slash Witchwave today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash WhichWave. Welcome back to the Witch wave. Today I'm speaking with Lisa Stardust. So Lisa, you actually mentioned the phrase Saturn return just before the break. I know you have a book that you wrote called... Saturn Return Survival Guide, Navigating This Cosmic Rite of Passage. Can you go into exactly what a Saturn return is and what people can learn from knowing when there's is or will be
2: or was? So funny enough, I've mentioned my parents before. I was born during both of their Saturn returns, which Mm. means that I am their karmic child. And believe me, I pushed them out of their comfort zones and made them (laughs) change. And I'm always challenging them. So they are grateful for that because I kind of make them evolve and I kind of always question a lot of the things just because I always want people to strive to be the better version of themselves. And that's what Saturn does. Yeah. So every 27 to 29 and a half years, the planet Saturn returns to the place it was at the time of our birth. So this means that we experience probably two to three Saturn returns in our lifetime. And each Saturn return teaches us a different element or aspects about ourselves and our life path. The first Saturn return really teaches us about our place in the world, what we want to accomplish. Maybe we realize that we can't go out partying every night and we want to be more responsible. Maybe we want to be in more serious relationships. Maybe we want to pivot our career. Maybe we want to settle down and have kids. Move, make big shifts in our life. Mm -hmm. The second Saturn return, which happens in our 50s, is really about what is the next stage of our life? We've worked really hard, we've cultivated this life. Now, where do we want to move from here? And it really speaks to the next phase, like retirement or a new career that you want to take on. Mm -hmm. And then the third Saturn return, which happens later in life. Is really about reflection. Did you lead your life really well? And Saturn is a really karmic, and I like to call the teacher planet. Mm. So what it does is it really makes sure that we're, you know, learning from our lessons. We're doing what we need to do to be a better person. And sometimes the repercussions can be a little bit harsh if we don't pay attention to what Saturn's saying. Mm-hmm. So an example would be don't party every night in your 20s or late 20s and then expect your boss not to be mad that you're showing up late to work, you know. So right, right. I always say that Saturn is like the principal in high school, and we're kind of like the rebellious kids who are pushing the limits of the principal all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's up to us to kind of really understand that we need to. Adhere to some of the structure that it imposes.
0: How interesting. So, I was reflecting on my first Saturn return in preparation for this conversation. And I knew, you know, when it happened, I was aware of it, but I didn't realize that, like, when you go and kind of type in all your information, your birth time and, you know, the date and the place that they can tell you exactly when the Saturn return is, like to the day? Does it matter the exact day, or does the Saturn return affect a year or six months? How long of a time span are we talking that this is influential upon us?
2: Well, it always depends on you as a person, too, and if you're listening and how open you are to receiving the messages from the universe. So most people begin to kind of feel the energy building up a few months before their Saturn return, maybe like six months before. Mm -hmm. And then either Saturn return happens, maybe some stuff happens, maybe it doesn't. But then I always say wait for two years following your Saturn return because you'll begin to feel it. Yes. And Saturn also does check in with us and... We do have a Saturn square, a Saturn opposition that happens in between. And basically, this is asking us if we're doing all the homework correctly. Mm. So Cosmos are always checking in to make sure that we're
0: on point. Approximately, when does that check-in happen in someone's life? Like around what age? Or does it vary depending on the person's chart?
2: So I always say the Saturn opposition happens approximately i'm going by my chart so i'm i would have my saturn opposition like 14 years after my saturn return interesting and then the saturn square would it's a midlife transit too Mm. and then the saturn square it would happen in my chart approximately eight to nine years Interesting. Yeah, like roughly give or take, yeah. Okay, okay. I have to look into that. It, it happened like seven years. I want to say seven years in my chart, but yeah. Seven years after the Saturn return or
0: seven years after the square?
2: The square happened seven years after the Saturn return, but I felt it nine years after my Saturn How return,
0: interesting. So. Okay, well, let me just tell you so quickly. My Saturn return happened this little kind of website that I found told me that it happened on October 10th, 2010. But the year of 2010 and the year of 2009 and the year after, they were all very transformational for me. So in 2010, I got married. I started my green witch apprenticeship. I started studying witchcraft formally with Robin Rose Bennett, who listeners know, is a very important mentor to me. That happened in 2010. I was running this arts and events space, an observatory, and that really started in 2009, but then really kind of it took off more as the years went on. So it was a truly transformational year and definitely set me on the path for what I'm doing now, for sure. It was kind of mind-blowing to look back at that.
2: Yeah. Is your Saturn in Virgo or Libra? Libra. Yeah, so you were born the year of that Saturn Jupiter conjunction,
0: okay? The Grand
2: Conjunction in, yeah, in Libra. I was born in nineteen eighty one. Yeah, I think the Great Conjunction happened around that time in Libra. How interesting! What does that mean? I always say that you know, if you're going by Twin Peaks fan yes. trope, that yes, I you, means you're, you're I talking to you- the
0: right person.
2: I think you have entrance into, is it the Black or the Red Lodge? If <gasps> I'm correct, I haven't watched Twin Peaks in about five <laughs> years, but I remember it was one of the Bad Lodges when you have entrance during the Great Conjunction. <gasps> and it's really funny because I remember watching Wait, that so this and, is bad? No, it's just a really transformative time. Whoa. You know, the Great Conjunction happened the last time in Aquarius. Remember hmm. in December? I think it was 2020. Mm -hmm. and it's just a really transformative time we entered the age of Aquarius so it's really just about like these major shifts that are happening in society because I think at that time Pluto was just kind of winding down in Libra and Pluto in Libra it was a time when we were really just seeing how it was acceptable to come from, you know, a family where your parents were divorced and how Mm -hmm. society was changing and how it was acceptable to be a single parent. And because Libra is all about relationships and Pluto is all about transforming and evolving them on a global scale. So, that Greek conjunction in Libra to me would have been a time in which we were just saying that, you know, anything is acceptable when it comes to relationships and you can have the kind of relationship that you want. Mm, I so love it. it's interesting that you're talking about relationships forming and you were born around that timeline.
0: Yep. How fascinating. I love this stuff. Let's zoom out even more, because as much as I would love to pick your brain, you know, on a personal level, that's actually your vocation, and people need to go to you and set up one-on-one sessions, and I in no way expect this to be a reading for me, nor do I think that would be that interesting for people to listen to. So let's talk globally, or even just nationally, about 2024. Lisa. We are obviously in such a time of tumult and change and transformation. I personally am preparing for more of that, but I'm also not preparing for hope. I am embodying hope because I am of the belief that there's no such thing as being doomed, that we are co creating the universe all the time, and that we can, you know, not just passively let things happen, but that we all have the ability to contribute and take this time of change and transform it into something potentially better for everybody. So I would love to hear your take on 2024. Whatever comes to you, and then I'm sure I'll have lots of follow-up questions on specifics.
2: Well, <clears throat> turning my throat, getting sure. ready. Yeah, take um, your, take your, so, oh my so goodness. I was, I, was, I was making a joke. I'm like, here we go. <laughs> so the first thing to note is that we do have four eclipses this year. The first eclipse is on March 25th. And that's the lunar eclipse in Libra. And then we have a great American eclipse on April 8th. And that's a solar eclipse in Aries. And I believe the path goes kind of diagonally from the Southwest through the Midwest to, I believe, northeastern part of Canada. Mm. So that's going to be a major eclipse. And it's going to really be pivotal for our country. And then we have the third eclipse, which is going to occur in Pisces on September 17th. That's going to be a lunar eclipse in Pisces. And then we have a solar eclipse in Libra on October 2nd.
1: Mm.
2: So these eclipses that are happening are really about I always say Aries is independent and Leo is a sign that we know is known for being in relationships. So it's really kind of about finding the balance in between and also realizing that it's important that we honor ourselves and we take care of ourselves as well as if we're in relationships. So it's really important to do more self-care, more self-love more positive affirmations this year. Also really understanding that we're amazing beings and really work on the confidence that we have within ourselves. Then we also have three Mercury retrogrades this year. We started off the year with Mercury retrograde, which ended on January 1st. Mm -hmm. But the other three we have are going to be in fire signs April 1st to April 25th in Aries, and then August 5th to August 28th in Virgo and Leo. And then we also have another Mercury retrograde from November 25th to December 15th in Sagittarius. And that Mercury retrograde is basically the same one we had in 2017 around that time. So It's sort of like another version of that story.
0: I'm going to have to look back at my calendar and see what was going on back in 2017, huh?
2: Yeah, astrology is very kind of secular in the sense that we're always kind of dealing with similar energies and stories. Then we have Jupiter, who is going to be moving into Gemini on May 25th. But before Jupiter moves into Gemini, we have a really big transit. And the last time it happened was when World War II really began. Oh, fun,
0: Lisa. When is that again? April 20th. Oh. In Taurus. Gracious. I'm sorry. I'm just kind of like teasing out the what the fuck does this all mean? And is the implication that there's gonna be some shit going
2: down then? <laughs> I mean World War Two. That's not uh that's not little. You see, I'm really hopeful and I think that we will have learned more from our mistakes. And I think that with Pluto entering Aquarius, well, re-entering Aquarius, I should say, this January, on January 20th, Pluto enters Aquarius, taking us back to where it was at the end of March in 2023. But then it dips back into Capricorn from September 1st to November 19th, and then it goes back into Aquarius, where it will be for about 20 years. So I think that with Pluto entering Aquarius, not really sure that there is going to be a third world war, just because, I mean, Aquarius, as you know, you're an Aquarius, is all about yes. understanding and really kind of everyone forging together. And I do feel that because a lot of people have been taking very public stands on social media and people are really realizing that they have a voice and communities are realizing that there's power in their voice, that that won't happen again, just because Aquarius is more about peace, love and understanding. Mm-hmm. So I think that we're going to see more of a shift towards people trying to resolve instead of fight. Mm, from your lips to the goddess's ears, darling. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. With Pluto and Aquarius, we're also going to see more, unfortunately, AI stuff and also more space exploration.
1: Mm. We're going
2: to see people more geared towards moving to larger communities, people working in food co-ops. There's a co-op in Brooklyn, and I think we're going to see more people geared towards that, especially with the recession. So I feel that we're going to see more of the impacts of the recession this year than anything else, especially with that Jupiter Uranus conjunction on April 20th. Mm. But, you know, there are some really other good aspects that are happening as well. We do have a Venus star point, which is a term phrased by the astrologer Ariel Gutman, and it's the annual meeting of. Venus and the Sun, as people say, Kazemi. Mm -hmm. That's happening on June 4th in Gemini. So that's going to be a really good time when we can talk about our emotions and our feelings and really kind of embrace discussing our sentiments and our plans for the future. So Venus travels to the same points every several years. So we're really kind of going back four years ago and this is the second telling of the story that we began four years ago, which Mm. is lovely. Mm. And it also speaks to trends and how we as a society really, you know, get together and communicate and love. Lisa, the
0: closer we get to November, the more my palms are sweating. I just need to say that out loud, but keep
2: going, keep going. (laughs) And then... We also have a Mars retrograde this year in Leo from December 6th to February 25th, 2025. So you're skipping November? What's happening? Sorry, panicking. um, November. I mean, we just have the Mercury retrograde at the end of November.
0: Okay. So the election, I feel like we are at this time in history when we never find out who the president is going to be on election day anyway. Like, it's always taking months and months of litigation and recounts and all that stuff and, you know, whatever. But do you have any sense of how things may or may not go? Or do you not like to comment on such things as politics?
2: My opinion of things is... You know, right now, America is having its Pluto return. It's still in the depths of the Pluto return. And we're in the middle of having a really transformative time. I think we're all going to be surprised by the election. But I don't think that we're probably going to be making any changes. Does that make sense? So my opinion is that I think that we'll see what happens but <laughs> i know i, I know you don't want to
0: make like actual predictions
2: and i get that i mean trump he's a full moon sagittarius i'm not sure how it's going to go with saturn and jupiter jupiter and saturn square on august 19th and december 24th so i'm not really sure how far he's going to get with that energy because it's going to be setting off his chart and it's going to be a little intense for him because Saturn does limit. I think that with, you know, the energy of the election, I mean, Biden has stuff going on too, but (laughs) I think that it's more apt to be towards him just because I don't think that there's going to be a lot of people wanting to make change. Also, Mars is entering Leo on November 3rd. So it's kind of beginning to pick up on that retrograde energy. So, well, I just think that everyone's kind of not going to really want to make really major changes when it comes to how they vote. I'll
0: say this. I was just watching this clip that's gone viral recently. And on Fox News, they had a psychic on just the other day, and she was doing tarot pulls. And for Trump this year, she pulled the five of cups. And the guy who was interviewing her was like, well, what does that mean? And, you know, she got kind of flustered and she's literally like, well, I know I'm on Fox News right now, but it's not looking great. And I was like, yes. So obviously, listen, we're not going to hold you to this. We're not going to hold her to this. But I will hang on to any shred of hope I possibly can right now. That's where I'm at with these things. And Lisa, on that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This season of The Witch Wave is brought to you in part by Sphere and Sundry, an astro-magical atelier where you can get expertly elected materia magica, oils, incense, bath salts, salves, inks, beauty oils, and more, which have been ritually crafted during rare powerful, and benefic astrological configurations. And oh my word, I can tell you firsthand, this is the stuff. These formulas are chosen in accord with the strict requirements of the talismanic tradition outlined in the Picatrix and other ancient grimoires, meaning you can benefit from the power of amazing astrological transits even when the stars haven't aligned. These are incredible tools for witches who are looking to embrace the manifestations and results of their spell work, especially the Luna in Cancer series. And I myself have the Luna in Cancer incense, and it is a dream to use for any kind of lunar magic. Venus materia can be used for love, glamour, and attraction. Regulus for fame and recognition, Asclepius for healing and transformation, and Deneb Algedi for protection. I also used several of Sphere and Sundry's magical products on site in Greece during our group rituals, and they were so potent and so exquisite. I can't say enough good things about them. Since 2018, Sphere and Sundry have been a key driver in the rising tide of popularity and interest in astrological magic, amassing over 5,000 five-star reviews and field reports on their website. Most orders ship within one business day, and Sphere and Sundry is also well-known for their incredible customer service as they are their magical results, and I can attest to that as well. Learn more and get $10 off your first order at SphereAndSundry.com using the code WITCHWAVE. That's SphereAndSundry.com, S-P-H-E-R-E-A-N-D-S-U-N-D-R-Y.com and use code WITCHWAVE for $10 off your first order. Hi Wavers. I have exciting news! At long last, we have some new Witchwave merch available for you now through TeePublic. We decided to go with TeePublic for our new Witchwave merch because it is a print-on-demand site, which means you can get different variations of the Witchwave logo printed on t-shirts, mugs, totes, stickers, magnets, notebooks, oh my gods, the sky's the limit! And the shirts come in different styles and fabrics and colors and are available in sizes small through 5XL so you can order whatever you'll feel your most magical in. So head on over to witchwavepodcast.com shop. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today we're speaking with Lisa Stardust. So Lisa, (laughs) I confess my emotions got the better of me and I started asking you leading questions. (laughs) So I'm sorry about that. Is there anything else that you want to make sure we know about 2024 or anything that will be useful for us from an astrological perspective?
2: I think that this is a year of radical change. And I think that We do have more power as a collective than we realize. And this year is really just about using your voice to be heard on any platform. You know, Jupiter is entering Gemini at the end of May. We have a Venus star point happening on June 4th. And we do have these powerful eclipses happening you know, with Pluto and Aquarius, it's more about the collective kinds of taking charge. But it's interesting because during the election, we are going to be back in the Pluto and Capricorn days. And those were kind of what we were dealing with during the last election. So I do think that the country really wants change. And I think that a lot of people really just want things to be different. So hopefully that's what happens.
0: Mm, Okay. I'll take it. I'll take positive change. How about that? I mean, whatever. We'll take any kind of change. We roll with it. We go with the flow. But yeah, I'm really out here trying to manifest evolution in all the most positive, most just, most joyful ways. And may the stars shine upon that manifestation. That is what I'll put into this
2: conversation. How about that? Yeah, I do think that these eclipses are going to be really transformative. With that last lunar eclipse in September, we'll see, you know, how that affects Donald Trump's chart because it's going to be aspecting his chart pretty tightly. So...
0: What does that mean exactly? Like for someone who doesn't really understand why eclipses are considered so transformative, can you give us like a little baby primer on eclipses and eclipse energy?
2: Sure. So when we deal with eclipses, we're dealing with the lunar nodes of destiny. Ooh. And according to Vedic astrology, there was a demon who wanted to live immortally, but That was not in the cards for him because he was bad. So he basically tricked the gods into granting him immortality by drinking a nectar that he was not supposed to drink. Mm -hmm. So they punished him by saying, you have to live half of your life in the future and half of your life in the past. That's why we call the north node of destiny the dragon's head. And we call the south node the dragon's tail. Ooh, I never knew that. Yeah, it's cool. So every year and a half, the lunar nodes change signs. And you know, they always move backwards, because it's in the opposite rotation that we're in Earth. And basically, it tells about the destiny that we're meant to work with for like the next year and a half, the energy. And then your natal chart you know your north the true node or north node is your, you know north node of destiny, and the exact opposite sign and degree is your south node. So you always want to compensate both energies to remain present. So it's important to focus on what you want to bring in and where you're coming from, and always find the middle ground. Mm. So that's why we always say balance is important. So eclipses are lunar events like full moons or new moons that occur on the lunar nodes. So, scientifically it means something completely different, but astrologically, yeah. This is how we interpret it according to the chart.
0: How interesting. So, when the sun is being eclipsed or when the moon is being eclipsed, the idea being that that energy is being hidden or obscured is that right
2: well eclipses are unpredictable by nature but they always bring things to light so i always say if you're doing something bad you might want to chill like a few weeks before the eclipse begins because a lot of the times eclipses just kind of expose situations or secrets so They really talk to kind of like the light, like to learn about how to be a more evolved person and to really live your best life and to lead a good life. I would say it's a lot of energy because we're the water is ruled by the moon and we're, you know, primarily composed of water. Mm -hmm. So we really feel these lunations on a really intense level and they can provoke a lot of emotions, paranoias, and sentiments come out. So I would say a lot of the times, especially with the eclipse in Aries on April 8th, that's going to be a really intense time because Aries, it's a fire sign. And a lot of the times Aries are impulsive. Mm -hmm. And because eclipses are unpredictable, it can be a really intense emotion where we say things we don't mean or we just jump to conclusions or reactions and or jump in a relationship or jump out of a relationship. Mercury will be retrograde during the solar eclipse in April. So I always say to people, sometimes we might feel the energy a few weeks later. Sometimes it might take a long time to come to fruition what's going to happen, but Mm -hmm. you should always kind of keep your eye out as to kind of how you can work with cosmic energy and live your best life and be a better version of yourself with the times.
0: That's very wise. You know, it's interesting because when I was a younger witch, I was under the impression that, ooh, eclipses, they are these big, you know, rare magical events and what a powerful time to do magic. And yet as I've gotten older, I've learned That many elder witches say that the eclipses are not a good time to do magic or manifestations. It's actually a good time to just, like, lay low and receive whatever messages you're meant to receive because the energy is so, you know, potentially chaotic or unpredictable. Does that resonate with you, too?
2: I always say, you know, there are so many different types of magic that people practice and some of them don't align with the lunar phases. But for me personally, I mean, I always chill during full moons too, just because I'm born during a full moon. So full moons and new moons really exhausts me. So I really like to do something healing for myself, like take a bath or just disconnect or just binge watch TV, you know, or like really do something that makes me feel good about myself mm-hmm. just because these, the full moons, and new moons exhaust me and I need time to decompress during those celestial events. But I always say that everyone should do what feels right for them. I always say relaxing is really good to do during an eclipse because you can really feel the energy I remember during the last Great American Eclipse, I was with a colleague of mine that was the one in Leo. And I remember that eclipse in Leo. I really felt that one. And I was like, I really need to just go home and chill. (laughs) You know what I Mm -hmm, mean? mm -hmm. Just decompress because that was a lot of energy.
0: Interesting. Okay. So it sounds like April 8th of 2024 is a date we should circle on our calendars with the understanding that these effects might keep resonating afterwards, but that that eclipse for our country specifically is something to pay a lot of attention to. Is that the right takeaway?
2: I would say till the whole month of April because then we have the Jupiter-Gurana's conjunction on April 20th. So you might want to lay low. Okay. <laughs> you want to lay low on Earth Day. Just do something meaningful for Earth, you know, because Jupiter, Uranus, Conjunction, and Taurus is about the Earth, so. Got it. Something to really focus on as well, and the stock market, too.
0: Is there a particularly sweet, delicious month we should keep our eye out for?
2: I think May is a good month. Mm, that's good, right after the crazy April time, okay. Okay. I think that the beginning of summer and the end of spring is going to be a good time. Love it. Love it. Lisa, we just
0: have a couple minutes left. I want to make sure I ask you, just as kind of like our final takeaway here, what is a helpful attitude towards astrology and what is a more like harmful one? In other words, I know some people can take this stuff like really literally and freak themselves out. And I know that that is not your intention. What do you think is the most useful approach or attitude
2: towards astrology? I always say to people, astrology just describes the energy. It's really great for timing and understanding the kind of collective mood. It's up to you as an individual to decide how you want to navigate through that energy. So if you know that there's a really big eclipse happening and it's aspecting your chart or someone else's chart that you work with or you're in a relationship with, might not be the day to press them, you know, Mm -hmm. or it might be the day where you kind of want to lay low or call out sick from work, you know? (laughs) Got it, got it. Just chill, just because it can kind of show you how, things are going to like unfold or what kinds of mood people are going to be in. So astrology is also really good for timing and understanding situations, but I also do something that's called horror re-astrology, H-O-R-A-R-Y astrology. And that's really hard and fast astrology where I create a chart for the time that I as the astrologer understand the question from a client, and I interpret the answer from that chart. So it's kind of, you know, about planets aspecting each other. And there are different rules from regular astrology. And it's really interesting. And it's a ancient form of astrology, and it's more of a specialty. So I've Answered many questions from Will I get this job to, you know, is this person my partner? Are they cheating on me? Are they telling the truth? So, so it's like a more
0: divinatory stance, too, it sounds like.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it lasts for three months at a time. Whoa. Yeah. So the answer won't change in three months.
0: How fascinating. Well, Lisa. I know I am certainly tempted to get a reading like that from you. I know other listeners are going to want to learn more about how they can connect with you and your work. So please feel free
2: to plug or shout out anything you wish right now. Sure. You can find me on social media at Lisa Stardust Astro on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook at X or Twitter. I write the weekly horoscopes for The Hood Witch and Teen Vogue. And I also write a bunch of other different astrology articles at various other publications. So you should check me out on Instagram to get your daily horoscope and at The Hood Witch for your weekly horoscope. Fabulous. And if someone does want to get a
0: more specific chart read by you or ask you specific questions, how do they go about working with you one-on-one?
2: You can go to my website, at and book a reading or DM me or email me or text me. I think my <laughs> phone number out there. I'm very responsive. <laughs> Easy
0: peasy, lemon squeezy. I love it. Well, Lisa, it sounds like 2024 is going to be a big year of transformation. Watch this space. And I am so grateful that you came to talk us through it all. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you for being on the witch wave.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to talk with you. That's it for the
0: show. Thank you again to Lisa Stardust for sharing her cosmic magic with me. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Please do drop us an email or a voice memo at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the Witch Wire. The Witch Wave is a phantasmophile production written and produced by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was recorded and edited by Josh Wilcox and or Walter Nordquist and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthea. Our new Witchwave logo was designed by Thunderwing. And special thanks, as always, go to Matt Freeman, Lara Antal, and Cece Paschal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch over at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and do consider giving us lots and lots of sparkly stars and glowing reviews. It really, truly does make a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Witchwavepod, and you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. My book, Waking the Witch, is available everywhere now, and the witchcraft book I edited and co-authored for Tashin is as well, so thank you for checking those out too. And if you want more Witch Wave or you would just like to support the show, please do join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.